Acts chapter 9. Let me um, tie this together. I'll tell you, I think it's important that we're actively pursuing the mission of God. We talked last week about what do we do? We help people find Jesus. They're lost. They're lost. We're like Ananias and Saul where he's walking through the world and he just doesn't know what to do. He's blinded on the road to Damascus. God intervened inside of his life and woke him up, but he got up and he's standing there. I'm blind. I can't see. God in his life made him experience something spiritually what in physically that he's been in, uh, experiencing physically, spiritually in his life. I'll get this right. So now he is blind physically and he's been blind spiritually. God brought somebody into his life to help him wake up to what was going on. And God used a man named Ananias to do this. Why is this so big, such a big deal? Because we've got to make sure that we as a church are actively engaged in a mission. Say, we're engaged in a mission. We're going to help people, you know, in life. We've got to be more specific than that. You guys realize if we're not careful, we'll end up being very busy as a church. And people are like, I love this church. They have a calendar and they do everything and they're doing things all the time. I love doing things and I love being involved. But I tell you, sometimes we can be so busy that we're not actually doing what God's called us to do. We're just tired. We're distracted. If we're made by God to make disciples, then what comes out of our church should be disciples. And that's why with everything that we do, we try to make sure, and and I'm, I'm just trying to check ourselves through this, like, hey, I've got a great idea. A lot of, we shouldn't do every good idea that we come up with, because I want to do the thing that is best for us, not just a bunch of good things. Does that make sense? Sometimes like, wow, that's a great idea. Well, if it starts pulling away from the thing, the main things that we're trying to do, we're trying to be very strategic. We want to be uh, intentional with what we do. We want to be focused with what we do. Bible says in Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time. Do you know why? Because the days are evil. <clears throat> Bible says in Colossians 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time means that we've got to make the very best of our time. And, and if something comes into our hearts and minds and say, man, this is such a great idea, I'm going to stop and say, hey, that is a great idea. <clears throat> but does it line up with the mission? It's got to line up with the mission. Because I don't want to just be busy. I want to be productive with what God has called us to do, to see people's lives change and see people redeemed and pulled out of the darkness and brought in the truth and lives transformed. Last week, we started this message and we just did it in two parts of this. Jesus calls on from heaven. He wakes him up. He brings him into the life of Ananias. And we started talking through Ananias. By the way, we're all to be Ananias. That's our calling. We're to, we're to uh, help people find Jesus the way that he did. And we were discovered how the question is, what is our mission? Number, last week, we got into this. We help people find Jesus. How do we do that? We step into their lives. God uses the personal relationship with us to help them discover their personal relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Your personal relationships will be a setup to help them be, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times when we talk about evangelism, we do this. We need to get them to church. Should people come to church? Yes. But man, God works through people and he works through you and he works through your friends and he works through the people you hang out with. It's got to start right here. I'm going to tell you guys this, and I said this last week, but this is so heavy on my heart. If the Spirit of God is inside of us, and we're all Christians, we're all believers, that means that us coming together and the Spirit of God, the dwelling of the Spirit of God collectively of us as a church, 
This should be the closest place to heaven that people possibly experience on this earth. Do you agree with that? You guys help me as I'm preaching this today. Okay, don't make me feel alone up here. I don't know if you're sleeping or you're still on Facebook like Pastor Dave was telling you to do at the beginning of the service. When he gets up here to preach on March 21st, you guys can, you guys can get on Facebook and do whatever you want. Um, but the way that he did it is he stepped into his life, but he treated him like family. Man, people should come in here and say like, man, I was accepted there. I was wanted there. I was desired there. Man, people acted like I had value. That's what Ananias said. I love this story because it's so visual. Saul's over there. He's blind. He doesn't know what's going on. He can't see. He's got these radical Christians that he's known that he's tortured and done all these horrible things to. And here Ananias comes into his life and he walks in and he just goes, brother Saul, just like that in the passage. Saul's like, what? I'm not your brother. What are you talking about, weirdo? You know, it's like, what, why, why are you even saying that? Because the fact is through the spirit of God, God brings us together in a fellowship that is powerful. He's reaching out to him to help him experience that. But the other thing that we looked at last week is we help people see. Because they're blind. It, it, Jesus taught the disciples, let your light so shine before men that they might see. Let them see it. Christianity is a myth. Christianity is a theory to people. They're like, man, there's a God in heaven that came down to earth and died on a cross. It's like, man, that's, that's just weird stuff. And then all of a sudden they meet you and they meet compassion and love and life change that they find mercy and grace and you treat them in a way that, that they're not expecting it and the, the love of God comes out of you and through your actions and your attitudes and your grace and your mercy. And all of a sudden, they begin to take a second look like, what, what makes you so different? That they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Can you imagine Ananias having a church meeting after this? He's sitting there and he's all excited. He's in the surf service. Hey, can I stand and say something? Sure, Ananias. <clears throat> What's going on in your life? Oh, man. I had a crazy week, okay? First of all, God came to me. He, he gave me this whole vision of this. He told me to go to this house and meet Saul. Saul? <clears throat> Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, isn't he a killer? Oh, that's, that's, that's a cool part of the story. Let me finish. He said, man, I walked to this house and I met Saul and Saul gave his life to Christ and man, he was so changed and everything. And then they're like, well, where's Saul at? I don't know. I told him he should go to church. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that sounds good. I think a lot of times in church services, we get, we get all excited. <clears throat> we had three people saved at snow camp, and we had people saved during the drama. We had people saved <clears throat> as we were doing outreach and things like that. We, we celebrate as people walk into the water, and they come out and say, man, buried in the likeness of his death, raise the walk in newness of life, and we celebrate. Here's my big question. Now what? Now what? I want to draw a comparison or visual in your mind. I want to draw a visual of what it means. He's a nice guy. You are a nice guy. (laughs) Brought me water. At the beginning of his ministry, and I'm a visual guy, okay, so I'm always picturing things like this. And Ananias meets him. And Ananias leads him to Christ. And we'll read this in a passage. Then at the end, we find this man passionately preaching Jesus Christ. My question is, what happened here? 
You guys know what I'm saying? People don't just pop up and be like, I'm going to go preach Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It'd be nice if it worked that way. It doesn't work that way. I, I, I want to lay this out and explain what happens. Because what I'm talking about right now determines if we have a church in 10 years. What I'm talking about right now determines if some people in this room will be uh, divorced or, 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 or single in 10 years. You say, man, it's crazy. No, what I'm preaching right now will literally determine whether we have some teenagers that give their life to Christ and go off to serve God with passion and conviction or whether they end up in trouble somewhere. Yes, we help people find Jesus. Then what? We help them follow Jesus. Let me show you the before and after story. Okay, let's lay this out. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto me in this way that thou camest had sent me. Isn't that, those words right there just awesome? You say, how did God change Saul in such a big, massive, amazing way? He walks in there and goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. And I know I'm nothing, but I'll tell you what, God, Jesus Christ sent me. I get to be a tool, a messenger to speak into somebody's life of life change. People that are lost, people that are confused, people that don't know if they're loved, people that don't know if they're accepted or what their purpose in life and they don't know where they're going. And you say, my life doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you right now, your life matters big time. You have a mission, you have a calling, you have a purpose God, God calls you and puts something on your heart to be able to step into somebody's life and be able to tell them the message of Jesus Christ, which is awesome. God sent me into your life. He's saying that thou mightest receive sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. His eyes were open. He can see the Holy Spirit steps into his life. This is awesome. And jump down to verse 22. But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. How do you get from somebody like, I can't even see, oh, thank you, brother. Man, so this is what Christianity is all about. Thank you for the invitation to over here where they're literally standing up saying, let me declare unto you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. How, whoa, how does that happen? Because I tell you, if we can see people come out of our church preaching and teaching and witnessing and sharing and standing up for the gospel, we will see Columbus turned upside down. We will see lives changed and, and people restored and redeemed. I got an email this week from our city. And they said, we're just reaching out to all the pastors in the area and telling you that the meth problem and the, the drug problem that we're experiencing right now in our city is literally overwhelming to where we're breaking records of people dying. Reaching out to us. They said, you have a voice. Get up and talk about it. Point them to what is right. They said, man, we, we've got such an opportunity to change and help people. How does, what is the difference between there and here? I, I, I'm going to be real for a minute. It's, it's called discipleship, okay? That's what it is. Jesus met the disciples. He walked with them and he transformed their life. They're called disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. We call this all sorts of things. It's a walk of God. It's a path. It's, it's growing in Jesus Christ. There's different things that we do. But in the, in the raw sense of it, Jesus was just teaching people to follow him. That's what it was. 
It was, it was following. It was following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, listening to what he says. But in the real world, if I'm being honest, let's just put it like this. How many of you know somebody, and I'm doing a survey like this, and you can comment if you're watching online. How many of you know somebody that got saved, was extremely zealous, gets baptized, and then somewhere along the lines, they just disappear? Raise your hand right now. You know what I'm talking about. All of us will raise your hand. I know that right, for a fact. What happens? It's not that they lost their salvation. It's not that they, they lost Jesus. It's just along this way. Jesus was talking to Peter at one point. And he, was, he was preaching to him and talked to him. And he said a phrase that I think really shakes us up. He said to, to Peter, he said, hey, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. It's in the book of Luke chapter 22. Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. That's what he said in the passage. You think about every person, the teens that got saved at snow camp. Man, the, the people that get saved during this drama, the people that get saved at vacation Bible school, the outreaches and church services and online and all these things. I'm not going to just walk up and tell them because I don't want to scare them. But the truth of the matter is Satan has desired to have you. And he goes after him with all that he's got. And along this path, they get pulled back into their old lifestyle. They get pulled back into their old way of living. They get pulled back into friends. that they said, man, I need to stay away from them. I need a change of life. I need a change of direction. I need to do something different. They get pulled back into those habits because they're going to have bad days and they're still going to have times that their job gets threatened or their spouse walks out on them. All these other things that just the cursed world brings into our lives. It's still going to happen. Casualties, 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 one after another. Jesus had a plan. When the disciples met Jesus, Jesus had this simple plan. He said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, And Jesus saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Isn't isn't that cool how simple that is? Any of you guys play follow the leader when you were kids? You know what I'm talking about? Just simple. You just, the guy in front of you, you just have to, it's as simple as this. Man, I was, I was a dumb kid. I could actually handle that game. I made it with that game. I was okay doing that. I, it, it's all you have to do is literally, Jesus was coming up to the disciples and he said, hey guys, I, I, I've got to, I'm actually going to do something really cool with you. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. I'm going to help you reach people. But the instructions that he gave him is just like, follow me. Just follow me. There's another passage that explains the same thing. It's in, it's in Mark chapter 3. And when he ordained 12, that's the disciples, that they should be with him. What do I do? Just, just come be with me. You say that's common. It's as simple as we could. Just, just need you to come and be with me. And the Bible says as a result of that, that they might send them forth to preach. This, this is what Jesus was teaching. Is this? Come on, let me let me show you this. I, if you guys are like me, I learn a lot more by seeing than I do by hearing. I, I, I experience more in life of picking it up of what's going on. That's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter nine, verse eighteen. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he sight forthwith, and he rose and was baptized. When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then Paul, or then Saul, certain days was with the disciples that were in Damascus. So I'm going to ask this question. How do we help people follow Jesus? Last week was how do we help people find Jesus? How do we help people follow Jesus? Here's the first thing. We share our lives with them. Say, that sounds familiar. Last week it was we step into their lives. 
I've got to step into their cubicle. I've got to step into my neighbor's life. I've got to step into their hearts. We got to step into their, 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 their problem that they're dealing with. But once we step into it and they experience Jesus Christ, we share our lives with them. This guy Saul was an outsider. He was the opposition. He was not like them at all. He looked different. He acted different. He dressed different. Everything about him was totally different. Can you imagine as Saul gets back his sight? I don't know what it was like in this room. I, I like to imagine these things just because this was real things that are going on. I mean, think about this. It's so cool to think that, that they, they, they had this real house and Judas is in there and Ananias walks into his house and Saul's like, man, wiping off his eyes and he's like, man, guys, I can't, Ananias, I, you're an answer to prayer. Man, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I really was scared that you were going to come get vengeance on me and I really didn't know what was going to happen. But I just want to tell you guys that I appreciate everything and it was so good to be with you guys. And man, this has really been life-changing. But and then you can imagine Ananias and Judas and Barnabas and all those guys that are around there are like, well, well, well where, where are you going? Well, I, I mean, this isn't my house, guys. I appreciate what you did for me. And then the Bible literally says this. They're like, come here. We're having dinner tonight, dude. This is where you need to be. Come on in. I want you to sit with us. Hey, guys, Saul's going to stay and have dinner with us. Woo, that's awesome, man. We appreciate it. Man, tell us about that road to Damascus that you were talking about. What happened on that? And all of a sudden, they pull him in there. You guys realize when somebody is new to Christianity and they're saved and they're brought into this, the Bible describes them as being babes in Christ. Anybody ever taken care of a baby? Not the easiest thing in the world can't just leave them. You can't just walk away. You can't just tell them to feed themselves. Every aspect of it is a matter of somebody has to step into their life and share life with them to teach them. Literally, this is how you eat. This is how you walk. And then as they do, we celebrate and they, they pull things in their life that shouldn't be there. And then we're like, no, that's, don't, don't, don't eat rat poison. Don't, you know, don't chew on that electric outlet. Don't, you know, we have to teach them along the way that there's certain things that you don't put in your life. You say, I, I see where you're going with this. It's a parallel. The same thing with us. We come alongside of people to help them follow Jesus Christ because we have to walk into, with, in their life. We have to share life with them. The Bible describes this in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. But we were gentle among you even as a nurse shareth her, her children. As a mom nurses her children. It takes time. It takes personal attention. It takes sacrifice. It takes you. It's going to take time for you to schedule to sit down with people. It's going to take time for you to step into their life. It's going to take time to have you invite them over to your house. It's going to take time when you're standing up in church and saying, man, you saw that you were baptized. Hey, a group of us get together every Friday night. We, we have life group in my house. Hey, a group of us love getting out and hanging out on this. You know what we have to do? Because their friends are going to be pulling them back in the other direction. And Satan's going to be going after them. I'm asking you, who's going to walk with them? Because a lot of times they don't make it by themselves. God had a plan along the way. And a lot of times, well, the church will do it. I've got a newsflash for you guys. You are the church. I am the church. Man, we are the ecclesia, the called out. We fail at this all the time because I think sometimes we're thinking of discipleship comes from the corporate level of this. We sit there and try to put them in a class or in a program or something like that. Man, that's great. We're here. I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here. But you realize that people will come into this room and then still walk out of here without a friend, without direction, without help, with, with not knowing how to handle life or what can happen next. People get lost. Later, Paul puts it like this. Saul gets transitioned to Paul later. 
And he says to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. This is, let me, let me put this in my language of how I would say this. Follow me and I'll show you what to do. Follow me and I'll do this with you. Every one of us need to have people in our lives, either that we're pulling forward or that somebody's pulling us, but every one of us needs to be what Paul was saying right there. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Watch what I do. And it's not that we're trying to get them to watch us, but I'm telling you a lot of times that people, how many, let me give you an illustration. How many of you guys have been married longer than 25 years? Raise your hand right now. Look around, all those hands right there. How many of you have been married less than five years or, or you're dating? Put your hands up right now. Okay, do you guys see the, the ratio that we have in here? Do you realize that if God has used you in marriage to be married for 25, you have a responsibility to help the ones that are coming behind you? Says, says who? Says God, we're all connected. We're family. We're the living stones coming together through the love of God to help each other. Nobody ever arrives. Nobody ever arrives. You're not a big shot. We have no big shots. There's only one person we glorify. It's Jesus Christ. And all that we do, everything that we do, when the Bible says that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, that word exhorting is literally constantly, I'm constantly reaching behind and pulling people closer to Jesus Christ. Every one of us, you want to know what the church is all about? I'm following Jesus and I'm constantly reaching behind saying, hey, I've learned something after my 23 years of marriage. I've learned something after growing up in church. I've learned something from being in my Bible. I've learned something about witnessing to others. And it's not that I've arrived. It's that I'm going to pull people into my life. And I've got people on this side. As we were closing out the service, at the first service, Fred Kirk came up to me and he was standing right down here. And I went up to him and I said, Fred, do you realize Fred volunteered after he retired from his job, he came to fellowship and for a long time, he said, I want to work on staff at the church, but I don't want a paycheck. And I'm not trying to talk about his life out of, uh, without him knowing this. And he just said, he said, Tony, I just want to serve God with the time that I have. Well, Fred Kirk was, you know, in his, in his 70s and doing all that he could to help us around the church. And he push around the trash cans and he'd do, and he'd be walking around emptying my trash in my office. He said, Pastor Tony, can I just tell you something? I said, absolutely. If Fred Kirk wanted to tell me something, I'm going to freeze in my spot and talk to him. He said, I was in my Bible this morning. He began to just lay out wisdom and things like that. And he said, man, I just wanted to know that because I love you and I pray for you every single day. That's it, buddy. And then he just turned around and he walked right out of that. Do you know what Fred was constantly doing in my life as the pastor of this church? I've learned a thing or two. We have no big shots. We're constantly, constantly pulling people into our life to walk with them. And I tell you what, that might look like a cup of coffee on Monday, not just a class on Sunday. But if we're so busy, guys, listen, if we're so busy that I can't build relationships with people's lives, then I don't have time to truly show them what it means to follow Jesus Christ with my life. He said, be ye followers of me as I also am Christ. As I'm following Jesus, I'm helping them do them follow Jesus. The disciples were totally changed, radically changed by Jesus Christ. How they loved the poor, how they gave the sinners, how they, they went out of, their life to, or to, out of their way to help people in their life. He was passionate in all that he did. And the disciples caught this. It was, it's, there are some things that can be taught, and there's some things that have to be caught. I, when I was um, a new dad, I, I had Jordan that was only a couple years old, 
and I was trying to teach him how to change a tire. Have you guys ever changed a tire, changed your brakes or whatever, and everything goes well, but Satan decides he's going to hang out at one of the bolts, just one. There's only going to be one that, you know, it's like, man, this is going well. I'll be done. Babe, I'll be done in like 30 minutes. Go ahead, start dinner. You know, you're, you're, and then you get that one. It's just not going to come off. And I, I remember working on that one bolt, doing it, and I got up WD-40 and, and going through all the motions of what I did. And Jordan, I, you know, I'm losing my cool out there. I'm like, this stupid thing, man. And it's like, oh, hey, buddy, give me that hammer or whatever. You know, I'm trying all these different things. And you're probably thinking, if you're changing a your tire with a hammer, that's probably why. It's another story. So I, I, I remember finally getting up, and I, and I threw down my wrench. I kicked the car. And I said, man, this is just stupid. Here's Jordan. He went up, picked up the exact same wrench, threw it down, kicked the car, walked away, and said, this is stupid. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome, bud. You know, I did. It was like, <laughs> some things that we do in life are more caught than taught. I could sit there and say, you don't give up, son. You don't, they're going to catch on what we say. We know this as parents because our kids end up being a reflection of us after they get out of the home. Your bad attitudes, how you treat women, how you treat your wife, all this. The thing about it is a lot of people that are growing up and they're, they, they, they had a bad example, whatever. I've got to bring them into my life so they can see how Christians handle life. There's a poet, his name is Edgar Guest. He wrote this poem. He said, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye's a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but example's always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. It was a matter of us demonstrating the transformation of what God wants us to do in our life and what God has for us and we have to do it, just picture this, with our arm around the souls that God brings to us. Verse 19, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Isn't it cool that this story has a potluck involved in it? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, hey, welcome, we're Christians. Well, what do you guys do? Sit down, we're going to eat. It was like, so they, they had this part in it. He received me and was strengthened. And when Saul was certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus, he's with the disciples. There's corporate responsibility. There is corporate things that we do. But there's also the individual responsibilities that we have with the people that we sit around within the church. You need to pull people into your life. You need to invest in people. Find that couple, and I'm telling you, find that couple that God wants you to mentor. Find that newlywed couple that you can, that you can influence. I, I, I tell you this, I, me and Jenny have had a bunch of double dates through the years. One of the coolest double dates that we've ever had, and Jenny would vouch for this, is Vance and Donna Higgins. Here, there's probably a 40-year spread between their age and our age when it comes to Vance and Donna Higgins, and, and I know that they're probably watching right now. But we went out and hung out and had the best time. And I told Jenny, I said, if I can just get older and have the love and the romance and the respect for each other like they did, I said, we'll be doing well when we hit their age. You say, what was happening? They were teaching me what marriage is about. Even when you get up into your 70s and 80 years old, how love never fails and it never gives up and it treats people with respect and love and honor. Pass it on. 
We share our lives with them just the way that Ananias and these disciples were doing. But the second thing is we teach truth. This is so cool because in verse 20, notice what Paul or Saul is doing. And straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. I'm going to ask you guys, how does a dude find all that out when he was rebellious and hated that stuff before? Because along that path, in that time, somebody stepped into his life to begin to say, just like this, I know you've rebelled against this, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for us and what he'll do for you. Let me tell you what the life is about. Let me tell you what Jesus taught us about forgiving people. Let me tell you what it says about sex, what it says about relationships, what it says about lying and honesty, what it says about your body being the temple of God. Let me show you. Let me teach you. They've got to be taught truth because the world that we live in is filled with lies. So much confusion. Guys, we know we're having issues if we're going to debate the sex of Mr. Potato Head, okay? We know we're in trouble. And I know that bothers us and that that gets us all worked up and everything. But I'm telling you, Satan has blinded the minds of those that believe not. And the only way that we're going to see lives transformed and lives get on the right direction is not just sharing life with them, it's sharing truth with them. We will be a truth-sharing church without apology. I don't care what goes in and what goes out of style in our world. We will stand firmly on the word of God and we will do it without apology and we will do it speaking the truth in love, but we will speak the truth. You want to know where we're headed with that? Come back next Sunday because we're talking about moving forward with conviction because we need to have some things settled in our hearts of what we're for. We need to have some things settled in our hearts of where we stand and what we're about Speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. You can imagine when people come into Christianity, they're bringing all their baggage with us. And I'll tell you, even along the way, there's people bringing their luggage with them. They have addictions. They have problems. They have divorces. They have kids. They have all sorts of issues. You don't, they, you don't just get saved. Guys, you, nobody gets saved and just drops the bags and says, woohoo, man, you might have a new heart, but you still have the same past that God wants to transform in their lives. That makes us nervous. That makes us nervous. Because the fact is we have this idea that they should just walk in having everything right. No, they're going to walk in. They need somebody to come along. Think about this. Can you imagine the first life group that Saul was part of? They're going around the room and it's like, oh, we have Sue new tonight. Sue, where are you from? Damascus. Oh, what do you do? I'm a hairstylist. That's great. Oh, we've got Saul here. Tell us about what you do. I'm really curious. Hey, what is your church experience? Well, uh, I've been to a lot of churches, I'll tell you that. Um, I've met a lot of Christians, okay? We've, I've arrested them. I've kicked in their doors. I've burned down their churches. I've hauled them off. I've, I've been, I've done all the... And, and in Christians, like, like, oh, it's good to have you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's what happens. A lot of people come in and it's like, let me tell you, I, I, I have a history of drugs. My wife and I are thinking about going through divorce because we can't fix things. I, I, I have such an anger issue, whatever. Do you, do you realize what we do is we speak truth in there, but we share life with them? 
And we walk through life because God is a God that transforms lives. You say, how is that possible? Do you realize one of the very reasons that God saved Saul and transitioned him to Paul, one of the greatest evangelists ever, for God to have a living example of this is what our God can do. This is what God does. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's where we leave it. We call it the Great Commission. No, that, that, that is half of the Great Commission. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. We can't leave that out. We cannot leave that out. It's not just a matter of seeing them come to know Christ and seeing them baptized, but teaching them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us to do. We pass it on to others from the pulpit, from the classroom, from your life group, and from your living room, and from a, from a table with coffee, and from a conversation and a text message. We tell them truth. Jesus was teaching truth to the disciples. He was teaching them, hey, you have faith. Peter, get out of the boat. Come to me. We teach them how to have faith. Lord, we have no food, and there's 5,000 people plus women and children. Do we have anything here? We have a small lunch with just fishes. Bring it here. Do you understand? It wasn't a classroom. Peter, James, John, come, guys, come around here. Little is much when God is in it. Can we pray over this right now? See what God does with this little boy's lunch? I'm so glad that he gave this. Can you imagine people not knowing how to pray? Do I pray to God, like, repeat the words? Can you repeat for me? One time Jesus was with, the, was with the disciples and it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Can you imagine being in that circle and they're all standing around and all of a sudden he's like, dude, man, that guy really connects to God. I wish I could pray like that. Well, ask him. I'm not going to ask him. I'll look stupid. Nobody asks people how to pray. Everybody knows how to pray. No, ask him. Lord, will you teach us to pray like that? It's what we do. Constantly. Pulling people forward. Constantly. Helping people get closer to Jesus. Nobody arrives. We're all on the journey. You follow me as I follow Christ. It's what we do. You taught him compassion and love. All these things. We share life together. We teach truth, but let me close with this. We train them in ministry. Let me explain. This is so cool because you can't really do the ministry without being with others. And you can't really walk through ministries without having the truth of who we are, where we're going, and what we do. It's all tied in together. But God was explaining his great plan. And I know I've kind of reread these verses over and over again. But that's, I love this expository study that we can dive into this and really see what God was doing through this transformation. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many of this man, how evil he have done to the saints that are in Jerusalem. I, I, he's just being honest. He said, God, man, he is a bad dude. He is, he's wicked. He's evil, God. And he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call in his name. But the Lord said unto him, you go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
Isn't it exciting that God sees your value when nobody else does? Because Saul could have walked in and every one of us would have written him off saying he doesn't belong here. He's not the type of person. He doesn't look right. He doesn't act right. He brought a cup into the sanctuary. He, he's wearing, you know, all these things that we get all wigged out about. He didn't know. He didn't know. And from the outside perspective, everybody was like, God, I'm just, uh uh-uh, no, I don't see it. He's just an evil man. And God says, "Don't, don't get in the way with what I'm doing. I just need you to be a tool being used to transform people's lives. We think of people and just say, man, I don't, I don't know what God could do with them. Verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, they essayed to join himself to the disciples. He walks into the church and they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And they're like, uh-uh, no, I don't think so. People are like grabbing their kids going, we're going to another church. I mean, they'd like, but I'm telling you, we love to tell the stories. Paul had three missionary journeys, wrote 13 books of the Bible, and transformed lives. Are you ready for verse 26 to be at Fellowship Baptist Church? Are you okay with that? For the people to come in, not knowing, not looking, not doing, scared to death. And I'm not saying we're scared, but it's just the idea because we have a certain way of doing things. And, and he's engaged in this ministry, doing these things. And how did the church respond? But I love this, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. How was Saul getting started on this mission for God? Man, people are like, I don't know, I don't know. This guy named Barnabas stands up and goes, wait a minute. I know this guy. He's got an awesome testimony. Man, I, I was there when you got baptized, dude. Man, I heard Ananias telling you. It's like, come here. Let me tell you. Here, here's what we're going to do. Have you ever greeted out the door before? Man, I love it. We make people feel so welcome when they come in here. Because, man, remember when Ananias did that to you? That's what we do to other people. Man, have you ever ran a spotlight? Richard Hartman's looking for a spot, spotlight guy to run Easter. You should That's a plug. We really need that. And so, you know. <laughs> You're, so you're, you're just walking through there and you're teaching a ministry. Did you guys notice that on Sunday morning you come in here and like different people are popping up on the stage to lead in the announcements and all this? You say, what are we doing? Oh, we're training the next Paul and Silas's to lead in the church. And they're going to be playing instruments. They're going to be singing up there. They're going to be acting on here and they're going to be standing at the doors and they're going to be learning to be deacons and preachers and pastors and leaders. Because somebody's got to be able to go in there and put their arm around him and says, come on, let's do this together. I'll show you, man, I, I remember when I first got started, I remember what that was like. And I'll tell you, there's going to be the naysayers around there saying, I don't know, he doesn't belong here and he looks different or whatever, but that's not discipleship. We share in life together. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Man, this is our goal as a church because of the fact is that God had this plan. Now, I'm going to fast forward and show you this. Verse 25. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. I'm jumping way forward. I just want you to see this. So what happens when we do this? What happens? Truly, when we share our lives with other people, and we teach them truth along the way. It's, I mean, I speak the truth in love, but I tell you, I can confront people about them living in sin or them having habits in their life or things that shouldn't be there when I have a relationship with them. 
And then I'm teaching them, man, you've got skills and ability, dude. Man, you've got talents. Man, God's blessed you. I wonder what God's going to do with you. Man, you're a pretty good speaker. What else are you good at? Burning things? Yeah, we're not going to use that. But, you know, all these different things that they, they had going on in their life. But it's a matter of pulling those things out of there and putting them in there. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 11, verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Saul, to Tarsus, for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that that whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians, or called Christians first at Antioch. Can you imagine how this happened? Man, Saul thinks he's nothing, man. He's just like, man, I just, I don't know what God could do with me. I have such a past, so messed up, so many regrets. Man, when you've messed up in the past, man, Satan will play in your mind. You talk about Satan has desired to have you. It's not all the time from people pulling them out. It's from them pulling themselves out. I don't deserve to be here. People come in here, look around and say, man, everybody has everything worked out. And man, nobody has problems like me. If they only knew the problems that I had, if they only knew what I did last night and last week. Where are you going? So I'll stay with us. Come sit down, buddy. Have you ever heard the story about when Jesus fed the 5,000? All of a sudden, we begin to just share life with them. Pull them into our lives. Walk with them. It's like, what are you doing next week? You're coming over for dinner. What are you doing? Are you, I want you to be part of our life group. Hey, I've never met you before. What's your name? Man, I, I, have, I have the same past. I have kids your age. You guys should come over and do this with us. See, it's not a corporate, organized. It's, it's the family of God. It's the ecclesia. It's the living stones. It's the family atmosphere where people step into that and they're assembled into the family because they're part of the family. And we walk with them. We teach them. We show them. I can imagine Saul on that day that he's teaching and all of a sudden, people are walking out of that meeting. I don't know what that was, that whole thing that they did. And it says from that that they were called Christians. It's like, I'm a Christian. Or those are a bunch of Christians. Like, what is a Christian? Oh, man. Those are people that are just like that Jesus guy. I thought Jesus was gone. I, well, we all thought he was gone too. But I tell you what, the spirit of what he did and the message that he preached is being spread like crazy. All from one guy that everybody else would have given up on. All from one guy that you would have said doesn't belong or doesn't deserve to be there. I want to go out of our way, whatever it takes, building stages, practicing Sunday afternoons, cool movie trailers, all. We're going to go out of our way to do whatever it takes to help people Find and follow Jesus. You know why? Because that is our call. We're working on this mission statement that we want to present to you guys and do this. And the way that we're trying to do is, I, I want this statement to begin at the beginning to be something emphatic that we don't just do it halfway. We're not being passive. We're not just being apathetic about it. Man, it's a matter of we go above and beyond. I, I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to get out of my comfort zones. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help people find and follow Jesus. When we line up together as a church, and that is our vision. That is what we do. I promise you that we're going to be able to be a church that helps people change their lives. The question is, are you ready?